0: Welcome to the Monogamous Marriage Podcast. We're Kate and Liam, married bisexuals a decade into our non-monogamous journey.
1: We've been having sex with our friends for 10 years, and we're still madly in love with each other.
0: We're the authors of the Monogamous Marriage blog, where we've been overthinking sex and love since 2016. This podcast is the place where we process our sexual adventures in real time.
1: We are not experts, and nothing we say should be mistaken for professional advice. The show contains mature language and sexual content, so if you're under 18, it isn't for you. But if you're a fellow overthinker and you're not freaked out by unfiltered conversation, you're going to feel right at home. I have a
0: very simple question for our listeners, and it's just about opinion. The question is, do you think there are more gay men or lesbian women or bisexual people In our population?
1: It's interesting that you asked that question, Liam, because according to a 2020 Gallup poll, of the 5.6% of US adults who identify as LGBT, 54.6% identify as bisexual. So the number of people saying that they are bisexual when asked by Gallup is more than the combined total of all the people who say they are gay or lesbian or transgender.
0: So I don't know if this is controversial but that number astounds me. I know lots of gay men in my life. I know lots of lesbian women and have for years I have never met a declared bisexual outside of the lifestyle. Interesting. Yeah, like is that the same for you or is it just me?
1: Uh no, I've I've met other bisexuals. How many? I don't know, several. <laughs> Okay. I haven't counted. <laughs> Would
0: you say you know more declared bisexuals outside of the lifestyle? So 10 years ago, did you know more gay men or lesbian women or declared bisexuals?
1: I suppose it was generally more in one camp or the other, gay or lesbian. Right. Yeah.
0: So that's astounding to me. We, When we describe our podcast, we say we're two married bisexuals discussing non-monogamy. And so in this episode of our podcast, we want to talk about bisexuality, about our own personal journeys along the way.
1: In our first segment, we're going to talk about our beginnings, our earliest experiences with same-sex sexual encounters... And how that has evolved over the years. In our second segment, we're going to talk about my current journey into having a relationship with another woman. And in our final segment, we're going to talk about Liam's journey from identifying as straight to slowly coming out as bisexual in the lifestyle community and what that has looked like for him.
0: So I think it's really fascinating to start any story with our childhood experiences because childhood is that time before We have any sense of how things should be. We're responding by pure instinct to situations. And I think it's fascinating that both of our earliest sexual experiences were same-sex experiences.
1: When I was six, my best friend, who lived right next door, showed me a copy of her father's Hustler magazine. Whoa, that's intense. Yeah. And I remember so clearly because it's seared into my sexual mind. We saw a multiple page spread kind of narrative photo essay of a mistress and servant kind of erotic situation. So So, power dynamic. Yeah. So the, the wealthy woman, slowly had her maid undress and then she undressed and the two of them kissed and touched and eventually went down on each other. And this series of images was so arousing. And remember, I'm six years old. I remember feeling that heat in my, you know, loins yeah. and and how profoundly affected I was by that. And so after that, my friend and I would frequently go down to the basement when our parents were upstairs or not around and play mistress and servant or husband and wife, and we would lie on top of each other and we kiss and squirm around and rub ourselves <laughs> against each other, mm-hmm. and that was my earliest sexual experience with another person.
0: Yeah, mine took place behind the apartment building where I lived. And because I can remember which apartment building it was, that means I had to be at oldest five years old. And I was caught by a neighborhood lady kissing another boy's bare bottom.
1: (laughs) It's funny. Every time you tell this story, you say bottom, even though that's a word you never use anywhere else in any context.
0: I know. I think it's because I'm uncomfortable. I'm now a 60-year-old man, and I'm talking about a four-year-old boy. I can't say his sweet ass. Well, of
1: course. That's disgusting. (laughs) I just think
0: I say bottom, and it sounds a little desexualized, even though it's a story of an early sexual experience.
1: Okay. Did she tell your mom, the neighborhood lady? She threatened
0: to. I don't know if she ever did because my mom never mentioned the word sex or anything of a sexual nature. So I think she wouldn't even be comfortable bringing (laughs) to me a story about something I had done. If it involved sex, that's my theory, but she may just have threatened us and then never did anything about it. And you know, there may have been more to it than that. And I don't know if I've ever told you this story before, but I don't know how to say this up until the age of 10. I believed I could play the flute and that I had learned it very early in life, which was clearly a self-deception because I never played the flute. But you know that you know that saying, playing the skin flute? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering if I somehow sublimated an early same-sex oral sex experience into a story about playing a musical instrument because it was what I could handle emotionally.
1: Wow. This is is way more than I'm qualified to deal with. Yeah, (laughs) I think you need some therapy. I know. You know
0: what? I could just be over speculating on this issue. But anyway, (laughs) anyway, it's clear that for both of us, same sex experimentation was the bedrock of our sexual lives as human beings.
1: And I would hazard a guess that there are a lot of people out there with similar stories, people who started experimenting with sex very early on before they even knew what sex was. They just knew that it was interesting and it felt good. Mm -hmm. And we tend to have same-sex friends. So I'll bet there are a lot of people who have very early same-sex experiences who went on to become heterosexual adults.
0: Yeah, so... It's interesting. A lot of people who start with the same-sex experience become predominantly same-sex attracted as they grow up. But that was not the case with us. Our interest in dating as teenagers was with people of the opposite sex.
1: Right. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I had another same-sex experience. And that was with my best friend, Melissa. So we talked about that on our very first episode. But the interesting thing about that was Even though she and I had a couple of months of behaving like we were girlfriends, where we were kind of dating and we were sleeping together, she started using the label bisexual and I resisted it. And it became a point of contention between us for, I think, a couple of reasons. So on my side, I felt like my experience with her didn't constitute an entire identity change that I had been married to men before my sexual experiences had always been with men up until Melissa. And so I didn't feel like I could properly say I was bisexual because I didn't know that my attraction to women extended beyond her. I thought I just loved and wanted to touch her, not necessarily all women. So that was my reasoning. But on her side, she felt like me not wanting to say that I was bisexual was revealing some deep homophobia or or was somehow negating the importance of her in my life or the experience that we had had together. So it eventually caused a little bit of a rift between us.
0: Right. So I remember by the time we got into the world of non-monogamy and it was time to set up a profile on a dating site, you were very comfortable declaring yourself as bisexual in that little series of boxes you have to tick about your identity. And I didn't. But later on, I started to think, no, I am interested in declaring myself as bisexual, not because I have a strong drive in that direction. But I thought, you know, it's crazy that as non-monogamous people, the word more is in our DNA. It's who we are. We're always looking for more adventure, more excitement, more stimulation, broader experiences, why would I restrict myself to 50% of the population? So many women are comfortable declaring their bisexuality, being bisexual. Do I think that only applies to females? So on an intellectual level, I believe that I owed it to myself to explore the possibility that I may have a potential for bisexual enjoyment. So I put that out there and it was amazing what started to happen in terms of the responses that we got.
1: Yeah, I think it was a couple of years into having an online profile where you changed your designation from straight to by curious, I think is what you said first. And we started getting emails from people who in their profile, the man identified as straight as well, but in the private messages to us they gradually admitted that they had a little bit of bi-curiosity themselves. So what that revealed to me was that there are probably a lot of men out there who either feel a little self-conscious or some social pressure to not embrace that label, or maybe they just haven't had a chance to explore it yet and aren't quite sure if they are entitled to use the label of bisexual. But there are certainly a lot of men out there who have an interest who would not declare it publicly.
0: Right. And it's so interesting because women do not feel that same hesitancy to declare their bisexuality. It's because there is an obvious prejudice, not only within the lifestyle, but in society in general, that it's really cool when two women kiss. It's not really cool, at least to a big part of the population, if two men kiss. So those men are feeling that pressure. They're worried that if they declare themselves as bisexual on their profiles, Lots of people who might have been interested in them will no longer be interested in them because of that prejudice.
1: Right. So you touch on something that has been a hot topic in lifestyle circles, which is the fact that women are almost expected to be bisexual in the lifestyle. right? And men are really discouraged socially from being bisexual. Mm -hmm. And so I think the ability that women have to express and explore their bisexuality in the lifestyle is kind of freeing and lovely that you have this opportunity to be in your you know, heterosexual marriage, if that's what you're in, but also be open to that side of yourself that's interested in exploring same-sex experiences. So it's great in that we have that freedom. Um, I was listening to a podcast, a Glennon Doyle podcast recently, and one of the callers called in and said, I identify as queer, but I'm in a relationship with a man and I'm very worried That if I commit to this man, I will be completely denying that other side of myself. So we in the lifestyle have the wonderful freedom to not have to choose. I can be with a man and also be with several women if that's what I want to do. But the other side of that is that I'm sure there are a lot of women I've, I've encountered them myself who aren't really authentically bisexual but feel the pressure to to be with other women in order to get things started because that's quite often how it goes in the lifestyle. So I've had experiences where women kind of reluctantly will kiss me or touch me, but you can tell their heart isn't in it. They're doing it for the sake of their man to get things started because it's an expected part of the foreplay. And so it takes away from the experience of women like me who are really enthusiastically bisexual, who want to have that full on experience with another woman. But if you're in a room or in a play session with another woman who's only doing it because she feels like that's what she's supposed to do, and she's just kind of like flicking your clit with the end of her tongue reluctantly, you kind of feel like, do you want to be here? Do you really want to be doing this? Because I want a woman who's like, like all in there, right? right?"
0: Yeah. So So you're saying that that openness to female bisexuality can become an expectation of female bisexuality. mm -hmm. And it's just another kind of prison. Exactly.
1: So I had an experience recently where the men in the situation realized that their wives were very enthusiastically bisexual. And they also realized that the male presence could change that experience for the women. So you guys decided we are going to take the male gaze right out of this whole situation. right? And so um, this was in Antigua. We wrote about it in our article, Antigua Diaries, A Series of Sixums. So it was with April from Naughty Jim and with Layla, who was another one of our friends. And the three of us went upstairs first while the men stayed downstairs and we got started on our own. But it was kind of an interesting situation because I don't think we had ever had uh, a situation where it was just women and we felt a little bit awkward at first. It was like we didn't really know how to start or how to get in touch with our own authentic desires. We missed the presence of men because So often, this bisexual thing is kind of a performance for the men in the room. So, without having that performative element, without having the audience, yeah, we were all kind of like, Well, what do we do now? How do we even get this going? Even though
0: you were three of the most enthusiastic girl on girl fans,
1: right? So, I think we were kind of missing that, you know, that porn. Thing where you you do the kissing and you slowly remove the clothes. And, right. um, and you can
0: tell how much the audience appreciates every move, but now the audience isn't there.
1: Right. So it took us a minute to really get in touch with what we wanted to do authentically. But once it got started, it was a beautiful experience because there were no time constraints or outside pressures to hurry up and get things done so that the men could come in and start fucking. Right so we took our time and kind of luxuriated in each other's bodies and did lots of kissing and touching and exploring and it was it was really wonderful actually and we weren't too worried about getting to orgasm Or do we look okay at this angle, in this light? Um, We were just doing whatever we wanted to do. And then when the men finally did come up, it felt like we had explored this possibility to its fullest, and then we were welcoming you into our space. And it was already erotically charged, and we had already had a chance to be our authentic bisexual selves before you came into the situation.
0: Right. The men were adding... To the scene. They weren't creating the scene.
1: Yeah, you weren't directing it. Right. Exactly.
0: Before we go into the second and third segments of today's episode, I want to make one thing very clear. We're very enthusiastic about bisexuality. It's a big part of our journey and something that we're more excited about exploring. But we do not want to come across as if we believe that everyone either is or should be bisexual. It may not work for everyone. We don't believe that everyone should be non-monogamous, but that they should consider non-monogamy and then reject it if it's not for them. And we feel the exact same way about bisexuality. We want you to think about it, but if it's not for you, it's okay. But it would be a terrible thing if it was something that had a lot of potential for you that you had just rejected because you had never been presented with the idea in a sympathetic way. If you like what we're doing here on the podcast, you might also like to connect with us in some other ways. For starters, we have a very active presence on Twitter, at monogamish1.
1: By active, he means we're constantly posting naked pictures, mainly of me.
0: We're also on Instagram under the name The Monogamish Marriage.
1: Well, I am. It's a place where I post my thoughts, poetry, quotes, and more pictures. It's kind of like reading my diary.
0: We both write separately for Medium.com under the names Liam McAdam and Kate Monogamish.
1: We do all this stuff for free because we clearly have a desperate need for attention. But if you'd like to encourage us or if you're just plain feeling sorry for us, you can become a supporter at patreon.com forward slash The Monogamish Marriage. We post original photos and videos there, including material that's too hot for Twitter, Instagram, or Medium. So go check it out, you dirty pervs. And now, back to the Monogamish Marriage Podcast.
0: Back in February of 2021, we wrote an article for our blog called My Wife Wants a Girlfriend. And it was interesting because that insight came about through a process of putting together our sexual bucket lists. We were asking each other, what would you still like to accomplish sexually within our relationship and within our relationships with other people? So I remember on my list was... I want to have a gangbang, which basically means I want you to have a gangbang. And we actually made that happen within a few months of writing the article. But the item on your sexual bucket list that got my attention was that you wanted to have a girlfriend, not just sexual play with another woman, but a real relationship. Am I getting that right?
1: Yeah, it was such a shocking discovery to both of us that it kind of hijacked the article and it it became all about that. Because in the past, I had been kind of afraid of, you know, polyamorous relationships and allowing emotions to develop beyond friendship. Um, I figured we have great sex with people that we care about. We Mm -hmm. have good friends that we've been sleeping with for years now. And we didn't need anything more than that. I didn't want to open ourselves up to the potential dangers of emotional connections beyond friendship. I realized that for me, the last time I had had an emotional connection with a woman was with Melissa. And that was a beautiful thing that didn't threaten us at all. And in fact, was, you know, positive for us. Right. And it introduced us to the lifestyle and took away some of our fears of what it would look like to sleep with other people. And so I hadn't had anything like that during the lifestyle. I'd never had that level of intimate connection and emotional vulnerability and basically love with another woman since we had gotten into the lifestyle together.
0: Well, I remember being very excited when you said that that was your fantasy because it suddenly became my fantasy too. I remember saying to you, okay, let's get on top of this. You should set up an account on a website and we'll research what's the best website for finding girl-girl relationships and let's be all intentional about this. But that wasn't really what you had in mind.
1: No, you were definitely going with your action bias there. Yes. And I was wanting to be a little more organic and natural about it, which tends to be my approach to everything. I do not want to over plan sexual or relational things. I just want to let them develop.
0: Yeah. So I thought for sure, this is never going to happen. Like the universe already served up our relationship to us on a silver platter way back in 2011. Lightning isn't going to strike twice for us, so this is probably just a nice idea that will never come to pass. And I was completely wrong.
1: Well, my theory there is that things happen when you open the door to them and you become emotionally open to and ready for them to happen. So, back in February, I realized I would like to have an emotional relationship with a woman, something that goes beyond the, f- the physical and sexual. And so I don't think it's a coincidence that just a few months later, we met Scott and April at Podcast Podcastapalooza in Miami.
0: Yeah, you were talking in the last segment about this 6 that we had. So there were lots of people in the room, but your attention got very quickly focused on one person, that person being the amazing April.
1: Right, yeah, so we... We had our first sexual encounter when we were in Antigua. And that was the, the night we were talking about where the women went upstairs first. And I really felt an intense connection that went beyond just the physical. Um, there was something in the way that April looked at me. And it was, it was the most obvious example of chemistry I've experienced since you and I had our first lunch together. So it was that flash of lightning, that electricity, that magic. That's so hard to define and put your finger on, but it was there between us, and we both felt it, and we were both a little bit afraid of it.
0: Okay, so if our podcast is about anything, it's about putting our finger on the undefinable. So
1: Yes, let's nail it all down.
0: Yeah, no, I don't want to nail it all down, but I think that if we can peer into it a little bit, it might become obvious what made this interaction with April after you had had so many interactions with Really amazing individuals with depth of personality and with charisma and fantastic looks and everything you'd ever want. But for some reason, this one woman had an effect on you that none of those other women had had before.
1: Right. Yeah. And it's still hard for me now to really fully articulate what that was or how it happened.
0: Okay. So can I tell you my theory? Sure. My (laughs) theory. I won't be able
1: to stop you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You may as well acquiesce. (laughs) My theory is that April combined two things that you almost never see together. And we had rarely seen together. So April is a very fit individual, as I mentioned in the last segment, and she's very physically strong, but at the same time, she's also super feminine, extremely pretty and in touch with that side of her personality. And that combination you had never witnessed before, and I think that had a powerful effect. So I know that there were some undefinable aspects. I do not want to suck all the mystery out of life. <laughs> I think that's not a good thing, but I think those two factors together account for you having a reaction you had never had before.
1: Well, they account for the physical reaction, but I don't know if they account for the emotional Reaction. And that's the part that is still a little tricky for me to understand. So, absolutely, she was strong and enthusiastic and beautiful and had perfect lips and soft skin. But all that stuff is physical. Mm-hmm. And I've, you know, been with women who are beautiful and, you know, smell nice before. And I haven't felt tingly feelings for them. Right. So, I don't want to argue you out of your perfect thesis, but.
0: <laughs> well, that's what you do for a living. So.
1: Yeah. It's my job. But anyway, so this happened right at the end of our week in Antigua, and it was such a revelation, but also such a mystery that I felt like when I found out the next day that they were going to be at Nadia in New Orleans two weeks later, uh, there was no question. I had to go because I had to figure out what just happened here. And is this something that we can duplicate and, you know, have more of and maybe build on? But of course, I didn't want to get too excited.
0: Now, I know you like to do things organically, so were you thinking, let's just go to New Orleans and see what happens, or did you have distinct fantasies about how things might proceed the next time you saw April?
1: Well, of course I had fantasies. Okay,
0: fantasies Um, are just plans with a nicer name.
1: Yeah, so what I imagined was kind of what I outlined in the article, which was I wanted to have a real relationship feeling right to um to our time together. So I wanted to walk down the street holding hands. Yeah. I wanted to walk into a restaurant or a bar with her and sit down at a table and and go on a date with her and let other people see us doing that. So that was part of my fantasy from before I met April. And then with her I just had someone to embody the fantasy with me.
0: It's really interesting. That's such a big part of relationships. You know, we're a very individualistic society as a whole in North America. But relationships are things that don't just happen between two people. They happen within a cultural context. So I think that whole idea of being witnessed, seen walking down the street, holding hands, seen being intimate at a table in a restaurant, they're not about sex. They're about being seen for who you are and acknowledged even by people who you don't know.
1: Right. And that's something that we kind of miss in the lifestyle, You know, we introduce our friends as our friends and when vanilla people are around, we don't touch them. So for me, this was a next level kind of experience as far as the public display of it and really affirming for me that, yes, I am, in fact, a fully fledged card-carrying member of the bisexual community, not only have I licked a lot of pussies, but I've actually gone on a date, maybe more than one date even, with this beautiful woman.
0: So you should tell our listeners about that date, because we set it up while we were in New Orleans one afternoon for you two to be alone.
1: Right. And before I go into that, I do want to say that you and Scott, her husband, were incredibly supportive and excited about this even before it happened. So I didn't even realize that you and Scott had had a Zoom call before we went to New Orleans where you guys were talking about how to make sure that we women – had the experience that we wanted to have and that you envisioned for us, which I thought was both cute and a little bit controlling. (laughs) Yeah,
0: well, Scott had actually done some research and he said, you know, there's this amazing cheese tasting tour. I think it was cheese tasting in New Orleans and that would be great for them because I think they both like food and and all that. And so we were getting excited about all the things we were researching. We were basically organizing your connection for you. And we both realized ultimately- That's not what these people need. These are extremely competent, passionate women. They'll figure it out.
1: Right. And it might in the end have been easier for us if you had just gone ahead and made those plans because I think both of us were feeling a little tentative, like we're feeling this thing, but we don't want to really let ourselves feel this thing. And Mm. we don't want to be overly enthusiastic in case it's not reciprocated by the other person. So there was a little bit of, I think, uh, nerves on both of our sides. But eventually I did ask her out and I said, you know, I'd just I'd like to take you to the carousel bar and buy you a cocktail. So she said an enthusiastic yes and we went to it was toward the end of our time there. Yeah, it um, was uh,
0: I think the the last afternoon.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. Um, So we went to the carousel bar and we walked down the streets holding hands and I was so giddy. I kept skipping. And then, then I would try to control myself and just walk like a normal human being. And then I would start (laughs) skipping again. And it was, it was like being in middle school. Like the first time you hold a boy's hand, it was that sense of, oh my God, she's touching me and other people are seeing it happen. And it was so exciting. And We walked into the bar and it was packed, but we walked in together and you know, here we are, two attractive women together holding hands. And immediately there were two guys who were about to pay their bill and they kind of waved us over and said, you can have our table. Nice. So we got some attention. We got was some pretty fun. girl
0: privilege working for you.
1: Yep. Well, two pretty girls. We got oh, pretty yeah. girl privilege yeah, times Yeah, you were two. unstoppable at that point. Exponential privilege. <laughs> so, so we had a drink and we talked. And I think, again, the nerves were a little bit at play there. I think I over-talked, which I tend to do. When I'm nervous.
0: Well, that means you're a born podcaster. That's all that means. <laughs> right.
1: And then afterward, um, we went to find you guys. So you were at a restaurant somewhere else. And we were both so flustered that we went the wrong direction. I think it was mostly my fault. But we were just walking down the street for f- much longer than we needed to because we got lost. Holding hands. And at one point, we were on a, a quiet side street. And I kind of pushed her up against a wall and kissed her. And, you know, I I was rubbing my body up against her and she was touching me. And it was just so, uh, so passionate and public and amazing. And when I came up for air, I looked up the street and there was a mother holding her like eight-year-old boy (laughs) back so that he wouldn't have to walk by us and see this debauchery. (laughs) (laughs) But it was thrilling.
0: Right. Right. So is that what you envisioned when we wrote that article back in February?
1: That was a tiny taste of it. So what I had envisioned was an entire weekend where we could have some downtime. There would be some sexual time, maybe some public going out to a market sort of time. Um, But I wanted to have the whole relationship experience.
0: Yeah. Well, that's interesting because we're talking about something now that's not a fait accompli. It is still in process right now. So You finally got together with her in New Orleans. You had a few times together, which were great. But what you're talking about in terms of wanting a girlfriend is a longer term proposition. And so there's a lot that we don't know about what the future will hold because we're on a path we've never been on before. So let me ask you something. Does your experience with April change how you relate to other women in the non-monogamy lifestyle now?
1: That's an interesting question. Because for the first month we were back after New Orleans, I did not want to go to any lifestyle events. And it turned out to be um, convenient that I got very sick and couldn't. So we had a good excuse to get out of the few things we had scheduled. But what I had experienced with April and also with Scott was just so transcendent, um, so spiritual and beautiful that I... It was hard for me to imagine going back to just having fun, casual sex with people I like, but eventually, obviously I had to get over that because Scott and April live in Alabama and we live in Toronto and I can't see them. It could be months before I can see them and it's not like our lifestyle life can be put on hold. So we did go to a party last weekend and I found that it wasn't hard to get back into the flow of Just fun, lighthearted play with people that we feel positive about. And there was a woman there who we've played with before and I quite like. And, you know, I was able to have a really nice time with her. So I guess just like what we have together is so special and the lifestyle doesn't threaten that.
0: Right. You're able to play with other men and that doesn't change how you relate to me.
1: Right. So there I guess there are gradations of... Um, intensity in terms of relationships and all of them can be interesting and fun. So I can love you intensely and have great sex with you. I can really get the feels for April and have amazing sex with her. I can feel very, you know, very much platonically loving toward our lifestyle friends. And each of those levels offers different things and feels different in the moment, but all of them are fun and good and pleasurable.
0: Right. So your relationship with April is additive rather than replacing or becoming the new paradigm.
1: Right. Yeah. I'm not going to give up swinging in, in order to become some sort of like polyamorous version of monogamous. Right. So I
0: have one more question for you. At the beginning of this segment, we talked about an article titled, My Wife Wants a Girlfriend. So tell me, do you now have a girlfriend?
1: Well... When we were in the carousel bar, I did ask her, so will you be my girlfriend? Again, in that middle school enthusiasm kind of way. Yeah, I was
0: picking up on that.
1: Yeah, and her answer was, I thought I already was your girlfriend.
0: Oh, nice.
1: So, I don't know. It's not the kind of thing that you can, you know, just go over to her house every day and be cute little girlfriends. But there's a level of enthusiasm that we both share that we have put into words and we'll just see where it goes yeah you
0: can't do better than that for a start yeah
1: we love getting to know new people and our favorite way to do that is attending lifestyle events
0: our next stop is at podcast of Looza encore in dallas starting november 5th to november 8th if you read our blog you know that the last pcap event in miami was outstanding and we expect nothing less for the next one
1: We'll be presenting a seminar on bisexuality, and we'd love to have you join the conversation. The weekend is almost sold out, so follow the link in the show notes, or check out the upcoming events tab at the marriage.com for details.
0: And now, back to the Monogamish Marriage Podcast. It's very interesting to me. We just did a segment on your relationship with April, because in terms of bisexuality, which is what this episode is about, women start from a very different place from where men start. Women start from a position of bisexuality being embraced and accepted. And so for you to take things to another level, it wasn't about touching or playing or kissing. It was about introducing an emotional component. But for men, it's very different. So for me, I remember back in, I'm going to say 2015, I decided that Bisexuality would be part of my identity. And for me, it was a very intellectual decision. It's not because I was dreaming of cock and lusting after men's bodies. It was really me saying, and I do this a lot, looking at the future, imagining myself 80 years old. So it's now 2041. And I'm looking back on my life. And as I survey the culture around me, I see that bisexuality is accepted as much for men then as it is for women now. And I thought, how will I feel if I let my prejudices hold me back from experiencing something that it's really too late to embark on now? So it's funny because generally in life, we make changes based on passions. But for me, it's often a thought experiment that leads me in a certain direction. And that was definitely the case with bisexuality.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the fundamental differences in our approaches to a lot of things, but especially sex, where I really want things to just happen. I want to go with the flow. I want it to feel organic. Whereas you have to imagine how it's going to play out and kind of intellectually experience it and see it through to the end before you can actually physically do it. Um, So for you, it's a much more intellectual exercise, this entree into bisexuality, where for me, it was just a, here's a woman in front of me who I love and want to kiss and let's go do it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. The logic for me worked out like this. We know all men like cock. Why? Because there's one cock they've paid a lot of attention to, and it's theirs. So everyone remembers when they were 13 or even younger, uh, discovering the joys of touching themselves. So is it because they are the possessors of the only attractive cock in the world? Or are they held back because of the tyranny of a single word, a word of three letters, the word fag that is an important part of the socialization of every man? It's the word that must never be applied to you. So I realized if there was a potential in me to experience pleasure in a bisexual way with women, with men, fully embracing all the possibilities, I may have to get past some Deep seated prejudices that have been beaten into me by our culture. And so that was really the driving force. I thought I'm going to lead with the only tools I really have available the little check boxes on our profile on the local swinger website.
1: Right. And we didn't hit the ground running in your bisexual exploration. There were several times where we had little experiences that were, again, more intellectual than passionate.
0: Yeah. Once I had put that out there, we started to have people coming to us, men who had a bisexual interest. And I can remember the first couple of times were pretty joyless for me, frankly. So I remember the first time a guy reached out to stroke my cock, I thought, oh, here we go. It's happening. (laughs) So I was having a completely disconnected, almost disassociated experience of it. But inside, I was saying, but you have to do this. This is a step along the path to where you want to get. So let's just have the experience and try to make of it the best you can.
1: And when was the first time it was actually a good experience? Do you remember that?
0: Well, that's really fascinating because... I do remember, you know, beyond that, sucking a guy's cock for the first time. And that was very much a, here we go. Because <laughs> he, yeah. Here's
1: my mouth. Here's his hard cock. Yeah. Let's, let's put them together. And
0: it's actually funny because I remember I thought he did a really good job. And I remember afterwards you said, oh, that was pretty robotic. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I didn't think I was being robotic at all. I mean,
1: I he knew it. That- scared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I didn't feel scared, but... I guess my internal ambivalence or lack of organic enthusiasm came through and you saw that.
1: Right. So again, I'll ask you, was there a time, can you remember, when you actually enjoyed it for the first time?
0: Yes. I'm going to say that the first time was actually earlier this year and it wasn't with a man in person. It was with a man online. Mm. So I remember you were away at a writer's retreat and... I was looking through Twitter and I saw this guy who had really an amazing body and amazing body the way I define it. So I have my own particular tastes in men, which I don't know. I don't think I'm going to go into right now.
1: Oh, come on. Everyone wants to know what does Mr. M like in another man?
0: Okay. So, so (laughs) he's blushing. (laughs) I think. I think one thing i like is a nice cock so it's not a big cock it's not a small cock it's about proportion and shape and those kinds of things that's part of it and i think there is um this guy had something oh this is this feels embarrassing to say it loud but uh we're really committed here listeners to we're
1: overcoming prejudices here yeah and we're no gonna, shame and
0: yeah <laughs> And we're telling you the way we really feel. So this guy had a bit of a bubble butt. So Mm. something that I would like in a woman. You
1: like my bubble butt.
0: I do. (laughs) And so strangely enough, that transfers. (laughs) So I also like it on a man or in this particular man anyway.
1: So there's a a parallel. So I like your muscles. I also really like April's muscles. Right. Interesting. I can
0: transfer those preferences across genders. Very interesting. Interesting.
1: So you liked his bubble butt and his nice cock? Yeah. So what
0: did I do? I said it online. So I paid him some explicit but tasteful compliments on his body. And the fact of doing that really turned me on. It felt like I was being seen, I guess, or I was exposing myself, not exposing myself in the creepy man with a raincoat kind of way, (laughs) but... I was letting a secret out. Now, it's really funny because was I really letting a secret out? You know, our account name is The Monogamish Marriage. So anyone who saw those comments would just see, oh, that's a comment from The Monogamish Marriage. So it could be from the woman. So I started putting Mr. M beside it, which is what I commonly do when I tweet on our account. So they would know, oh, this is a man talking about another man. But they wouldn't know my real name or my face or anything. But for that early stage, it was really a kind of coming out for me. And it turned me on and he noticed. And so he sent me a comment back and we got into a conversation that was so hot, like it was my version of magical. So things got ratcheted up and ratcheted up and ratcheted up in the conversation. And so eventually we were jerking off together over the internet using just text and exchanging some pictures. That was the first time I was surfing a wave of lust with another man. And it was very exciting. And that showed me, ah, oh, this is the potential. There really is something there. Now you're not just trying to do something because you believe in the future it will be seen as the best way of embracing your total sexuality. This is just a natural, organic experience.
1: Right. And have you ever had that in person with another man?
0: Yes, I have, actually. Back in April, we wrote an article about a time we had together with our longtime friends, Caitlin and Colin, called No Pain, No Gain, Pushing Boundaries. And during our time with them that weekend, I was on the massage table at one point, and all three of you were massaging me. And it was clear that, well, we already knew that Colin had a bisexual interest. He was very open about it. And so he was participating freely in the massage. Then he came to the head of the table and I had that feeling for the first time, like I really want to suck his cock. So I did. I mean, partly because I knew he would be receptive, but I think I felt it most during a point where you retreated to the back of the table and I couldn't see you. And I thought, oh, because we so often video our adventures, I thought maybe you're making a video of this and the idea turned me on. Again, it's that concept of being seen, of being exposed in the best possible way. And so that was me now transcending. I'm doing this because there's a very good intellectual reason for doing it. It's because I was being led by my own lust.
1: Right, and it, I think it was helpful that you knew that both female partners were very enthusiastic about the bisexual possibilities between the two of you.
0: Oh, that's so key. I can't imagine, you know, in my previous marriage, I once, this is crazy, but I once was at a restaurant with her and I remarked that I thought our waiter had sensuous eyelashes.
1: (laughs) That, that is a little weird. <laughs> I
0: know. I'm pretty good with words. I don't know what in the world I meant by saying he had sensuous eyelashes. I must have known at the time. But my ex-wife did not like that at all. For literally years after, she would say, are you sure you're not gay? And not in the way that you would say it, which is... Please Yippee. say yes.
1: Please say yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, with her, it was very much like, you better not be even 10% gay. So having a partner who encourages that side of me just makes all the difference. So now I'm not dealing with that emotional interference. It's just a matter of tapping into my own natural desires.
1: Oh, yeah, and I'm very into it. So I'm not a big porn watcher, but when I am turned on by porn, usually it's something to do with bisexual or gay or trans porn. And so, yeah, I'm very enthusiastic And very encouraging of your explorations. So to get back to what you were saying in our opening segment about how if a man really wants his wife to have an authentic bisexual experience, it's his job to take himself out of the equation. Right. I feel like a woman's job is to maybe put herself into the equation, to do the opposite, to encourage her husband, if he shows any inclination that he has a buy interest, to really say, you know what, I would love to see that. That would turn me on so much. That would be so hot. Because you guys have a lot to overcome in right. terms of social messaging. So to have the, the positive messaging reinforced by someone you trust, I think is probably really helpful and you know the people that we've talked to in the lifestyle where the man has been Tentatively exploring his bi-side very often has a really supportive wife behind him.
0: Yeah, it's really fascinating Once I started to make it more known that that was an interest of mine It was unbelievable how men started to come out of the woodwork to both of us so I think our friend ben had a conversation with you at one of the parties we were at that, like, shocked me. I couldn't believe
1: it. Right. Yeah, so I think he opened the conversation with, so I hear Liam has a bit of bi interest. And it didn't take much to get him to launch into this story about how um, he had a bi interest as well, and when they were on vacation in Mexico, his wife actually hired a male prostitute to come to the hotel and give Ben the whole Gay experience and he had the whole experience and he said it was one of the most amazing things ever
0: Yeah, and I did not see that coming at all It's just like our other friend steve with whom I have a regular breakfast He confided in me one morning that at a party he had been at just the previous weekend He had sucked another man's cock. So he had a friend who We all knew how to buy enthusiasm, but didn't push it too much. But he brought another friend who was more openly buy. And I guess Steve just felt he had the okay to try something new. And he said he felt a whole lifetime of pressure lift off his shoulders Mm. when he had another man's cock in his mouth. Now, I know you know Steve well. He is the straightest (laughs) presenting male in the Western Hemisphere. Like you would never, ever, ever guess that he had a bi interest, let alone 50 years of pressure that he had been denying himself Mm -hmm. since he was a young boy. And so I just started to see how big a deal this is, that there are so many men looking to experiment with something new. Everyone in a different situation, everyone with different limits and preferences and likes, just like, guess what? They have different preferences and likes with women, too.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the things that really scares men who have a buy interest is the belief that as soon as I venture down this road, I'm going to have to be willing to take a cock up the ass. Right. <laughs> right, so I would be scared of that. I mean,
0: right. It's not your favorite activity. It's a little
1: painful. But I think a really important thing to remember for anyone who's interested is that there are so many steps on the bisexual journey before you get to taking it up the ass. So, one of the first things we did together was I wore my strap on and I asked you to touch it and to suck on it. And there wasn't even another man in the room. Right.
0: But that was incredibly hot. I remember that came completely out of the blue.
1: Right. And I think there were two things happening there. It was both... I was giving you permission mm-hmm. to do this kind of transgressive bisexual thing. But also it was in a safe space where it's right. just you and me. There was no fear of judgment from other people. It was just me giving my enthusiastic permission to do this thing and showing you that I would really love it if there were in fact a man in the room and not just this dildo. Right. Yeah,
0: so I think that we've said from the beginning that We are the enemies of labels. We think labels do more harm than good in the lifestyle and in sexuality in general. So for a man, being bi could simply be a fantasy thing, something that exists only in his own mind that he should feel free to pursue without guilt. It might be an online thing, so he may never be in the same room with another man, just indulging in something over the internet that is incredibly hot. But it can also extend to other forms of interaction too. And you get to be in control. We're all adults and we get to say, hey, here's what I'm comfortable with. And here's what I'd rather not do for now, at least.
1: Right. And you saying that actually reminds me of the thing that I think was actually your entree into the buy interest, which was our very early threesomes with Derek, where all you did was guide his cock into my pussy and then touch my clit, rub my clit while he was fucking me. So it was the most incidental of touches between you and his cock, but it was arousing for you. And And if it never went beyond that, that fearlessness, that ability to just get over yourself and touch him and take whatever pleasure you could from that, That was the beginning of a several-year-long journey that brought you to your most recent adventure, which is you recently created an account on Field.
0: Right. Yes, because like you have had that experience with a woman, I thought, you know what? I'm open to having the same with a man. I think I can navigate the whole online dating system. I don't know if I'll find someone who is a good match for me. I'm taking it slowly. But- I'm open to it, and it was fun setting up the profile, and now we're actually, tomorrow evening, seeing the first man I've met there who happens to have an interest in seeing couples, but he definitely appreciates the buy component of that. So we're going out for drinks and oysters, and we're going to see where it goes.
1: Should be exciting.
0: Yes. And after that, we have, guess who? Caitlin and Colin coming back on Saturday for a time together, our first time since the time we wrote about back in April. And you know for sure that by mail play is going to be a big part of that time together.
1: Oh yeah, Caitlin just wrote me today and said, oh. does Liam have any special requests for the weekend? Anything that he's fantasizing about? And I said, I think the thing he's most excited about is the potential for some play with Colin. And she, who's as enthusiastic about the buy thing as I am, said, oh, that would be amazing. Maybe I can hold the camera while Liam and Colin get together.
0: Okay, that is into it.
1: Yeah, she's into it. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so we'll see what happens this weekend.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting, you know, as I go through all of this, it's important to point out, too, some people are going to hear this and go, wow, there's a guy that's into by mail Play, and they may be thinking, we're going to see them at this event coming up, maybe at PCAP Encore in Dallas in November. Or- Stay
1: away from that guy.
0: <laughs> or maybe in um, in the next um, Room 77 Sexploration Antigua mm-hmm. event, maybe at Naughty next year. So Yeah, you're
1: going to have a lot of time at the Sexploration thing because I'm going to be spending all my time with April. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So
0: I'm just saying that there are going to be men who hear this podcast and think, this is great, a green light to pursue something. And, you know, I think that's great. But there are also going to be men who are going to say, oh, (laughs) I was actually interested in getting together with them, but I don't want this Liam guy Mm. all over me. And I think it's so important for people to remember that this is an addition to our lifestyle. I still really connect with women. I can be in a room with another man and very happily not touch him at all because not surprisingly, not every man is to my taste. And a big part of my taste is based on the enthusiasm of my partner. So if you're not feeling it for me, I'm not likely feeling it for you. Right.
1: And ultimately, as non-monogamous people, we've made this choice to be in this lifestyle because we don't want to restrict ourselves. We don't want to restrict ourselves to just one sexual partner. And by extension, I think it's just logical to say that we don't want to restrict ourselves to just one gender, that we want to be open to the full array of possibilities for pleasure and connection, no matter what form that comes in, whether it's male or female, our partners or other people's partners. Um, We just want to take the pleasure and the joy where it comes.
0: Right. We often say non-monogamy is not for everyone but everyone should consider it. That's as close to a mission statement as we have with our whole monogamish marriage blog and now podcast. So our feeling is the same thing with bisexuality. It's probably not for everyone, but everyone should consider it. And that's what we really wanted to communicate with this episode.
1: Right. Thanks so much for tuning in. While we appreciate you listening We're ultimately more interested in dialogue than monologue, so feel free to reach out to us at themonogamishmarriage at gmail.com or any of our other social media platforms with your comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes. And if you like what we do, we'd love to read your positive reviews wherever you listen to podcasts.